Book Six, Chapter One of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book Six: The New Heaven and the New Earth. Chapter One, in which Miss St. Quentin bears witness to the faith that is in her. Honoria divested herself of her travelling cap, thrust her hands into the pockets of her frieze ulster, and thus, bareheaded, a tall, supple, solitary figure, paced the railway platform in the dusk. Above the gentle undulations of the western horizon, splendours of rose-crimson sunset were outspread, veiled, as they flamed upward, by indigo cloud of the texture and tenuity of finer scores and those same rose-crimson splendours found repetition upon the narrow, polished surface of the many lines of rails, causing them to stand out as though of red-hot metal from the undeterminate grey drab of the track where it curved away south-eastward across the darkening country towards the Savoy Alps. And from out the fastnesses of these last, quick with the bleak purity of snow, came a breathing of evening wind. To Honoria it brought refreshing emphasis of silence, and of immunity from things human and things mechanical. It spoke to her of virgin and unvisited spaces, ignorant of mankind, and of obligation to his so many and so insistent needs. And there being in Honoria herself a kindred defiance of subjection, a determination, so to speak, of physical and emotional chastity, she welcomed these intimations of the essential inviolability of nature, finding in them justification and support of her own mental attitude, of the entire wisdom of which she had, it must be owned, grown slightly suspicious of late. And this was the more grateful to her, not only as contrast to the noise and dust of a lengthy and hurriedly undertaken journey, but because that same journey had been suddenly, and in a sense violently, imposed upon one whom she held in highest regard by another whom she had long since agreed with herself to hold in no sort of regard at all since the highly regarded one set forth she honoria of course set forth likewise and yet in good truth the whole affair rubbed her not a little the wrong way she recognised in it a particularly flagrant example of masculine aggression some persons as she reflected are permitted an amount of elbow-room altogether disproportionate to their deserts be sufficiently selfish sufficiently odious and everybody becomes your humble servant hat in hand that is unfair it is indeed quite extensively exasperating to the dispassionate onlooker and in miss st quentin's case Exasperation was by no means lessened by the fact that candour compelled her to admit doubt not only as to the actuality of her own dispassionateness, but, as has already been stated, to the wisdom of her mental attitude generally. She wanted to think and feel one way. She was more than half afraid that she was much disposed to think and feel quite another way. This was worrying. 
and therefore it came about that honoria hailed the present interval of silence and solitude striving to put from her remembrance both the origin and object of her journey while filling her lungs with the snow-fed purity of the mountain wind and yielding her spirit to the somewhat serious influences of surrounding nature all too soon the great paris express would thunder into the station the heavy horse-box-like sleeping-car now standing on the coulos geneva baal siding would be coupled to the rear of it then the roar and rush would begin again from dark to dawn and on through the long bright hours to dark once more by mountain gorge and stifling tunnel and broken woodland and smiling coastline and fertile plain past chambery and turin and bologna and mighty rome herself until the journey was ended and distant naples reached at last but miss st quentin's communings with nature were destined to speedy interruption ludovic quayle's elongated person clothed to the heels in a check travelling coat detached itself from the company of waiting passengers and blue linen-clad porters upon the central platform before the main block of station buildings and made its light and active way across the intervening lines of crimson-stained metals if i am a nuisance mention that chastening fact without hesitation he said standing on the railway track and looking up at her with his air of very urbane intelligence present circumstances permit us the privilege or otherwise of laying aside restraints of speech along with other small proprieties of behaviour commonly observed by the polite so don't spare my feelings dear miss st quentin if i'm a bore tell me so and i will return and that without any lurking venom in my breast whence i came oh do anything you please honoria replied except be run over by the paris train oh, the paris train so i have just learned is an hour late consequently its arrival hardly enters into the question but since you are graciously pleased to bid me do as i like i stay mr quayle returned stepping on to the platform and turning to pace beside her what a jail delivery it is to get into the open that last engine of ours threw ashes to a truly penitential extent my mouth and throat still claim unpleasantly close relation to a neglected kitchen grate and if our much vaunted wagon-lit is the last word of civilization in connection with travel then all i can say is that in my humble opinion civilization has yet a most exceedingly long way to go it really is a miraculously uncomfortable vehicle and how lady carmody contrives to endure its eccentricities of climate and of motion i'm sure i don't know in her case the end would make any sort of means supportable honoria answered her pacings had brought her to the extreme end of the platform where it sloped to the level of the track she stood there a moment her head thrown back snuffing the wind as a hind-breaking covert stands and snuffs it a spirit of questioning possessed her though not as in the hind's case of things concrete and material it is true she could have dispensed with mr quayle's society she did not want him but he had shown himself so full of resource so considerate and helpful 
ever since the news of sir richard calmady's desperate state had broken up the peace of the little party at ormiston castle now five days ago that she forgave him even his preciousness of speech even his slightly irritating superiority of manner she had ceased to be on her guard with him during these days of travel had come to take his presence for granted and to treat him with the comfortable indifference of honest good fellowship so it followed that now speaking with him she continued to follow out her existing train of thought i'm by no means off my head about poor dicky carmody she said presently especially where cousin catherine is concerned i couldn't go on caring about anybody irrespective of their conduct just because they were they and yet i can't help seeing it must be tremendously satisfying to feel like that a thousand pardons ludovic murmured but like what why as cousin catherine feels just whole-heartedly without analysis and without alloy to feel that no distance no fatigue no nothing in short matters so long as she gets to him in time i don't approve of such a state of mind and yet honoria wheeled round facing the glory of colour dying all the west and yet i'm untrue enough to my own principles rather to envy it she sighed and that sigh her companion noted and filed for reference indeed an unusually expansive cheerfulness became perceptible in mr quayle oh, by the by is there any further news she inquired general ormiston has just had a telegram anything fresh still unconscious strength fairly maintained oh we know that by heart honoria said we do and we know the consequences of it the sweet little seesaw of hope and fear productive of unlimited discussion and anxiety no weak letting one stand at ease about that telegram it keeps one's nose hard down on the grindstone oh if he dies honoria said slowly if he dies oh poor dear cousin catherine when can we hear again at turin mr quayle replied then they both fell silent until the far end of the platform was reached and there once more honoria paused her small head carried high her serious eyes fixed upon the sunset the rosy light falling upon her failed to disguise the paleness of her face or its slight angularity of line she was a little worn and travel-stained a little dishevelled even yet to her companion she had rarely appeared more charming she might be tired she might even be somewhat untidy but her innate distinction remained nay gained so he judged by suggestion of rough usage endured her absolute absence of affectation her unself-consciousness her indifference to adventitious prettiness of toilet her transparent sincerity were very entirely approved by ludovic quayle yes that seesaw of hope and fear must be an awful ordeal feeling as she does miss st quentin said presently and yet even so i am uncertain i can't help wondering which really is best again a thousand pardons the young man put in 
but i venture to remind you that i was not cradled in the forecourt of the temple of the pythian apollo but only in the nursery of a conspicuously philistine english country house for the first time during their conversation honoria looked full at him her glance was very friendly yet it remained meditative even a trifle sad oh, i know i'm fearfully inconsequent she said but my head is simply rattled to pieces by that beastly wagon lit i had gone back to what i was thinking about before you joined me and to what we were saying just now about cousin catherine oh yes yes exactly ludovic put in tentatively she was going to give herself away he was sure of it and such giving away might make for opportunity in spirit the young man proceeded to take his shoes from off his feet the ground on which he stood might prove to be holy moreover miss st quentin's direct acts of self-revelation were few and far between he was horribly afraid those same shoes of his might creak so to speak thereby startling her into watchfulness making her draw back but honoria did not draw back she was too much absorbed by her own thought she continued to contemplate the glory of the flaming west her expression touched by a grave and noble enthusiasm i suppose one can't help worrying a little at times it's laid hold of me very much during the last month or two as to what is really the finest way to take life one wants to arrive at that fairly early not by a process of involuntary elimination on the burnt child fears the fire sort of principle when the show's more than half over as so many people do one wants to get hold of the stick by the right end now while one's still comparatively young and then work straight along i want my reason to be the backbone of my action don't you know instead of merely the push of society and friendship and superficial odds and ends of so-called obligation to other people ah oh, yes mr quayle put in again now it seems to me that honoria extended one hand towards the sunset is cousin catherine's outlook on life and humanity full of colour full of warmth it burns with a certain prodigality of beauty a superb absence of economy in giving and that with a little shrug of her shoulders she turned towards the severe and sombre eastern landscape that it strikes me comes a good deal nearer my own which is best mr quayle congratulated himself upon the removal of his shoes the ground was holy holy to the point of embarrassment even to so unabashable and ready-tongued a gentleman as himself he answered with an unusual degree of diffidence well an indeterminate position is neither wholly inconceivable nor wholly untenable perhaps and you occupy it oh yes you are very neatly balanced but then do you really get anywhere is that not rather a knavish speech dear miss st quentin the young man inquired mildly i don't know she answered i wish to goodness i did now was here god-given opportunity or merely a cunningly devised snare for the taking of the unwary ludovic pondered the matter 
he gently kicked a little pebble from the dingy grey drab of the asphalt onto the permanent way it struck one of the metals with a sharp click a blue linen-clad porter short of stature and heavy of build lighted the gas-lamps along the platform the flame of these wavered at first and flickered showing thin and will-o'-the-wisp like against the great outspread of darkening country across which the wind came with a certain effect of harshness and barrenness the inevitable concomitant of its inherent purity and the said wind treated miss st quentin somewhat discourteously buffeting her and obliging her to put up both hands to push back stray locks of hair also the keen breath of it pierced her making her shiver a little both of which things her companion noting took heart of grace is it permitted to renew a certain petition he asked in a low voice honoria shook her head oh, better not i think she said and yet dear miss st quentin pulverised though i am by the weight of my own unworthiness i protest that petition is not wholly foreign to the question you did me the honour to ask me just now oh dear me you always contrive to bring it round to that she exclaimed not without a hint of petulance oh, far from it the young man returned for a good solid eighteen months now i have displayed the accumulated patience of innumerable asses oh of course i see what you're driving at she continued hastily but it is not original it's just every man's stock argument if it bears the hallmark of hoary antiquity so much the better i entertain a reverence for precedent and honestly as common sense goes i am not ashamed of that of my sex miss st quentin resumed her walk you really think it stands in one's way she said reflectively you really think it a disadvantage to be a woman oh good lord mr quayle ejaculated softly yet with an air so humorously aghast that it could leave no doubt as to the nature of his sentiments then he cursed himself for a fool his shoes indeed had made a mighty creaking he expected an explosion of scornful wrath he admitted he deserved it it did not come miss st quentin looked at him for a moment almost piteously he fancied her mouth quivered and that her eyes filled with tears then she turned and swung away with her long easy even stride mentally the young man took himself by the throat conscience-stricken at having humiliated her at having caused her to fall even momentarily from the height of her serene maidenly dignity for once he became absolutely uncritical careless of appearances he fairly ran after her along the platform oh dear miss st quentin he called to her in tones of most persuasive apology but honoria's moment of piteousness was past she had recovered all her habitual lazy and gallant grace when he came up with her no no she said hear me i began this rather foolish conversation i laid myself open to well to a snubbing i got one anyhow oh in mercy don't rub it in mr quayle murmured contritely oh but i did honoria returned 
now it's over and i'm going to pick up the pieces and put them back in their places just where they were before oh but i protest i hailed a new combination i discover in myself no wild anxiety to have the pieces put back just where they were before oh yes you do honoria declared at least you certainly will when i explain it to you she paused you see she said it's like this living with and watching cousin catherine i've come to know all that side of things at its very finest oh, forgive me uh, it what may i recall to you the fact of the philistine nursery the young lady's delicate face straightened you know perfectly well what i mean she said that which we all think about so constantly and yet affect to speak of as a joke or a slight impropriety love marriage motherhood yes lady carmody is a past master in those arts mr quayle replied again the ground was holy he was conscious his pulse quickened the beauty of it all as one sees it in her case breaks one up a little there is no laugh left in one about those things one sees that to her they are of the nature of religion a religion pure and undefiled a new way of knowing god and of bringing oneself into line with the truth as it is in him but having once seen that one can decline upon no lower level one grows ambitious one will have it that way or not at all honoria paused again the bleak wind buffeted her but she was no longer troubled or chilled by it rather did it brace her to greater fearlessness of resolve and of speech you are contemptuous of women she said oh i have betrayed characteristics of the ass other than its patience ludovic lamented oh i didn't mean that honoria returned smiling in friendliest fashion upon him every man worth the name really feels as you do i imagine i don't blame you possibly i am growing a trifle shaky as to feminine superiority and woman spelled with a capital letter myself i'm awfully afraid she is safest for herself and others under slight restraint in a state of mild subjection she's not quite to be trusted either intellectually or emotionally at least the majority of her isn't if she got her head i've a dreadful suspicion she'd make a worse hash of creation generally than you men have made of it already and that honoria's eyes narrowed her upper lip shortened and her smile shone out again delightfully that's saying a very great deal you know oh my spirits rise to giddy heights mr quayle exclaimed i endorse those sentiments but whence so dear lady this change of front oh wait a minute we've not got to the end of my contention yet well the paris train is late there is time and this is all excellent hearing i'm not quite so sure of that honoria said for you see just in proportion as i give up the fiction of her superiority and admit that woman already has her political domestic and social deserts i feel a chivalry towards her poor dear thing which i never felt before i even feel a chivalry towards the woman in myself 
she claims my pity and my care in a quite new way so much the better mr quayle observed outwardly discreetly urbane inwardly almost riotously jubilant oh wait a minute she repeated her tone changed and sobered i don't want to spread myself but you know i can meet men pretty well on their own ground i could shoot and fish as well as most of you only that i don't think it right to take life except to provide food or in self-defence there's not so much happiness going that one's justified in cutting any of it short even a jack-snipe may have his little affairs of the heart and a cock-salmon his gamble but i can ride as straight as you can i can break any horse to harness you choose to put me behind i can sail a boat and handle an axe i can turn my hand to most practical things except a needle i own i always have hated a needle worse well worse than the devil <laughs> and i can organise and can speak fairly well and manage business affairs tidily and have i not even been known low be it spoken to beat you at lawn tennis and lord shot over at billiards oh and to overthrow my most socratic father in argument and outwit my sister louisa in diplomacy vide our poor dear dicky carmody's broken engagement and the excellent scatterbrain-dacious marriage oh, but lady constance is happy honoria put in hastily blissful positively blissful and with twins too think of it dacia is blissful also his sense of humour has deteriorated since his marriage from constant association with good little connie who was never distinguished for ready perception of a joke he regards those small simultaneous replicas of himself with unqualified complacency which shows his appreciation of comedy must be a bit blunted i wonder if it does miss st quentin observed reflectively whereat mr quayle permitted himself a sound as nearly approaching a chuckle as was possible to so superior a person a thousand pardons he murmured but really dear lady you are so very much off on the other tack am i miss st quentin said well you see to go back to my demonstration i've none of the quarrel with your side of things that most women have because i'm not shut out from it and so i don't envy you i can amuse and interest myself on your lines and therefore i can afford to be very considerate and tender of the woman in me i grow more and more resolved that she shall have the very finest going or that she shall have nothing in respect of all which belongs to her special province in regard to love and marriage in them she shall have what cousin catherine has had and find what cousin catherine has found or all that shall be a shut book to her for ever even if discipline and denial make her a little unhappy poor thing that's far better than letting her decline upon the second best honoria's voice was full and sweet she spoke from out the deep places of her thought her whole aspect was instinct with a calm and seasoned enthusiasm and looking upon her it became ludovic quayle's turn to find the evening wind somewhat bleak and barren 
it struck chill, and he turned away and moved westwards towards the sunset. But the rose-crimson splendours had become faint and frail, while the indigo cloud had gathered into long horizontal lines as of dusky smoke, so that the remaining brightness was seen as through prison bars. A sadness, indeed, seemed to hold the West, even greater than that which held the East, since it was a sadness not of beauty unborn, but of beauty dead. And this struck home to the young man. He did not care to speak. Miss St. Quentin walked beside him in silence for a time. When at last she spoke, it was very gently. Oh, "'Please don't be angry with me,' she pleaded. "'I like you so much that... Oh, that I'd give a great deal to be able to think less of my duty to the tiresome woman in me. I would give a great deal, too, he declared, regardless of grammar. But I'm not the only woman in the world, dear Mr. Quayle, she protested presently. But I, unfortunately, have no use for any other, he returned. Oh, you distress me, Honoria cried. "'Well, I don't know that you make me superabundantly cheerful,' he answered. Just then the faraway shriek of a locomotive and the dull thunder of an approaching train was heard. Mr. Quayle looked once more towards the western horizon. "'Oh, here's the Paris Express,' he said. "'We must be off if we mean to get round before our horse-box is shunted.' He jumped down onto the permanent way. Miss St. Quentin followed him, and the two ran helter-skelter across the many lines of metal in the direction of the Coulos Geneva Bale siding. That somewhat childish and undignified proceeding ministered to the restoration of good fellowship. "'Great passions are rare,' Mr. Quayle said, laughing a little. His circulation was agreeably quickened. How surprisingly fast this nymph-like creature could get over the ground, and that gracefully, moreover, rather in the style of a lissom, long-limbed youth than in that of a woman. "'Rare? I know it,' she answered, the words coming short and sharply. "'But I accept the risk. A thousand to one, the book remains shut for ever.' "'And I, meanwhile, am not too proud to pass the time of day with the second best.' and take refuge in the accumulated patience of innumerable asses. And behind them the express train thundered into the station. End of chapter 1 of Book 6